Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. This episode is recorded on Friday, July 6, 2018, uh, starting at 2.18 p.m. in Denver, Colorado, and this is the 163rd episode of the show. For more information about how to subscribe to the podcast and help support the production of future episodes by becoming a patron, please visit theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Joe Gleason and Adam Ellenboss about why horoscopes are still valid and important uh, in the early 21st century. So, hey guys, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Chris. Hey, thanks for having us. Hey, so uh, yeah, the genesis of this episode today is that as people who listened to the last forecast episode know, I've been thinking about doing uh, a set of horoscopes for a while now. And I always thought for the past few years that it would be kind of like an interesting challenge for somebody who's used to doing more like advanced or complicated natal astrology to try to write, you know, a 12 sign, a little bit more simplified horoscope column. But recently I got more interested and more excited about the prospect of doing this after I attended UAC and I saw how many younger people were getting interested in astrology. And I thought about just how big of an audience you could reach or how much bigger of an audience you could reach and how much more sort of like community outreach or public outreach you could do if you had a column that was more approachable than, you know, most normal episodes of the astrology podcast, even the forecast episodes are. So I was kind of encouraged by that. I also saw, uh, Joe, you did a, a Twitter thread in late June where you were encouraging more astrologers to actually get engaged in doing horoscope columns. And that was really encouraging to me as well. And I ended up actually finally doing one and putting out a series of video horoscopes for each rising sign uh, at the beginning of July on my YouTube channel, which is at youtube.com slash the astrology school. So a lot of stuff came up, a lot of ideas and a lot of challenges came up in the process of doing my first horoscope column. And I wanted to talk to both of you and sort of process that and talk about the process of what happened, some of the things that I ran into that were unexpected, some of the things that were I ran into that were expected, and just um, yeah, sort of record a discussion about this. And I thought you two would be good people to talk to about uh, because Joe, you are really good recently about outlining sort of the the conceptual and philosophical reason for why you think that this is still an important and a valid practice. And I was wondering if you could you could start maybe by talking a little bit about that or what the the genesis of that is. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I'll admit that early on in my studies, uh, I was kind of an elitist about horoscopes, like not being quite real astrology, because you know I was very enthusiastic. I had just discovered traditional astrology, and um, really, when my mind changed on that was when I started writing daily horoscopes myself. So I was a ghostwriter. Um, for a couple different columns and getting into writing these horoscopes, um, especially dailies, just kind of showed me how much actual astrology goes into it and gave me an appreciation for how much you can really squeeze out of these symbols when you have to write about them every single day. And, um, that just showed me, like, I, like, my astrology is better for having written daily horoscopes, and there's just no way I really would have experienced that other than actually from writing them. So that's part of why I encourage people to just try it even as an exercise if they don't publish it. Um, cause there's so much you get out of it. It's like, uh, it's like push-ups, astrological push-ups <laughs> for your, for your vocabulary. So. Right. And, and I meant to say, I forgot to say as a way of introduction that you, 
are the vice president of the Association for Young Astrologers, and you've yes. actually been a shadow writer for several horoscope columns at this point in your career, right? Yes. Okay. And Adam, in terms of your background, you, of course, teach. You've been on the show before. You teach and write forecasts through your school, the Nightlight Astrology School at nightlightastrology.com. But you also write the monthly horoscopes for astrograph.com, right? Yeah, that's that's right. That's new for me. I started doing some guest column writing for them a year ago. And similar to Joe, I was, um, I, I wouldn't say that I had like a uh, bad opinion of them. I just kind of thought that what I was doing was like way more advanced. And and then this opportunity came up to write and um, it was a good opportunity for a little extra income. And uh, once I started doing it, I was like, this is really difficult and I like a challenge. So, and and I feel the same way. Like I've learned a lot from doing it. Right. So I guess that's, that's important because that's like a shared phase that almost every new astrologer goes through is horoscopes are usually a person's first understanding or like entry point into astrology. But then once you learn about the birth chart and you get into the more advanced forms of astrology, it seems like every new astrologer goes through this phase of initially being almost like scornful of horoscopes as being not real astrology or being too simplistic or not not representing what astrologers actually do. And that that's almost like a, a shared thing, it seems like, that that all three of us went through or that a lot of people go through at some point. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly um, remember when I was first, you know, it, you're first studying, say, archetypal uh, astrology and some depth psychology. Maybe you've little, read a little bit of Joseph Campbell and you're thinking, you know, your your personal psychology is represented in the birth chart and it's multidimensional and it's complex. And and then the idea of one aspect of that chart somehow being able to summarize who or what you are feels like, you know, just offensive or something. It's like an affront to astrology itself almost to, yeah. that, to that new astrologer. Yeah, totally. Right. Because astrologers are using like, you know, so many different planets and they're using all those, let's say, you know, seven to 10 to 12 or plus different planetary or other celestial bodies in a birth chart. There, Each of those can be in a different sign of the zodiac. Each of those can be in one of the different houses. Uh, then you have the aspects. Then you can factor in other things like the Arabic parts or lots or asteroids or what have you so that, it, that real astrologers are actually dealing with just like hundreds and thousands of variables in, in any single birth chart. And so I guess that's probably the core of the reason why when you make that transition and realize how complex astrology is normally that when you then look at sun sign astrology, which is just literally the position of the sun in one of the 12 zodiac signs, you know, it does immediately, at least initially seem overly simplistic. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like the, um, the temptation of, uh, starting to look down your nose at something like horoscopes is, is right there. Um, you know, I think one of the ways of thinking about it, um, as, as I reflect back in time on how my view has changed and sort of evolved, um, is that, you know, in, in the beginning of learning any craft or discipline, like a musical instrument, or even like a sport where you need a specific skill in the beginning, when you're getting exposed to like the wide variety of different styles that jazz musicians have or that different composers have or the different basketball players have you try to emulate and take on all of it and you're you're inundated by the vastness of the world you're entering and you sometimes i think we 
mistake that in any craft or discipline that, that the vastness of that world for ad, ad, advancement. But in fact, when you study really great musicians or composers or athletes or whatever, they end up refining a, a more specialized set of skills. And it, actually, they become really, really good at things that are sometimes very simple. And I, I feel like I appreciate that about horoscopes, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Sure. And and this was part of so so what happened and I mentioned this earlier but last month Joe you wrote a long Twitter th- thread that that got passed around a lot which is sort of like this impassioned um not plea but you were sort of encouraging <laughs> other serious astrologers to to take horoscopes more seriously and to actually engage in the process and saying not only is it important and valuable but it's um more challenging and more complicated than you might think, and there's something useful there. Uh, could you? What were some of your main points there? What was the motivation, or what led you to sort of make that argument? Well, I mean, honestly, I just I was just kind of feeling impassioned one morning. I was like on vacation, and I was like, I'm gonna write about horoscopes. And um, a lot of this stems from you know, like I'll be on Twitter and I'll see Christopher Rindstrom post one of his dailies, and like his dailies, y'all, they're so good. Like he's so amazing at writing these weeklies and dailies, uh, same with like Rick Levine. And it really inspires me. And, it, you know, it makes me remember, you know, when I was ghostwriting, when I was doing this all the time, it is a lot more work than you expect. So basically, kind of my my plea that you mentioned, at the end of this thread where I mentioned, you know, this is like astrological push-ups, it will expand your vocabulary, it forces you to really dig and flesh out these symbols that you thought you understood. But, you know, when you're writing about the moon in the third house for like the eighth day in a row and and you're out of symbols, you, you have to get creative and you have to flesh that out more. Um, anyway, this, this whole experience is so valuable and there's no way to get it without doing it. So I issued a formal challenge so that you should, uh, you should just experiment and write a month of daily horoscopes for all the signs. That was really more of just kind of a slightly melodramatic, emphatic way of saying, hey, this is really valuable. You should at least see what it's like to write them. And to my surprise, like I I wasn't taking that super seriously, like, hey, everyone, do my monthly challenge. Um, But people are doing it. They're actually, there's some people experimenting on Twitter now. I know several people who are going to gear up and write a month of dailies for all the signs for August and for Leo season. So it's gotten a good response and I'm I'm excited to see people exploring something that maybe they would not have before and having that willingness to experience astrology in a different way. Um, again, maybe that they had looked down their nose at a little bit or just thought kind of wasn't as advanced or just wasn't really something they needed to do. So it really just stemmed from my inspiration, you know, of seeing all these awesome horoscope writers, these, these awesome astrologers doing a great job with that part of their craft and, and wanting to share that with people and wanting to share what I could that would help other people have that same experience themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and I, I like that idea that you made that argument that you made, which is kind of unique, that this actually, contrary to what some people might initially assume or a sort of um, not like a prejudice, but something close to that, that, that more advanced astrologers might have, this is something that could actually make you a better astrologer because it forces you to you know, work some of those metaphorical muscles in terms of your interpretive abilities and your ability to draw information out of the symbolism and, and think deeply about the, the core meaning that you might not 
do otherwise, where where in a normal consultation you might be able to rely on other things or easier sort of chart patterns in order to delineate to to draw striking and and moving interpretive symbolism. But in a horoscope column, you have to focus on things that might be underdeveloped or that astrologers maybe are a little bit weaker on sometimes. Yeah, completely. With a horoscope column, like you can't you can't fully flesh out like someone's moon saturn conjunction ruling their ascendant or something because in a horoscope that's gone the next day like it's like there's an expiration date on everything and you have to find a way to capture the themes and kind of puzzle out and suss out what themes really will come through for people capture that and you only have a, a limited space to actually write about it or speak about it if you're doing video horoscopes and that really pushes you you know it 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 makes you really feel into the astrology of a time period, really immerse yourself in it and kind of almost method write it. Like that's kind of how I felt sometimes when I was really in the thick of it was that I was like really trying to put myself in that position. Like what would this feel like just for a day? And that connects you with the symbols and like, you know, just seriously, just try to write a few horoscopes and you'll see very quickly like how special it is. Like there's something really really cool about that. And it and it is advanced. It will definitely make you a better astrologer, in my opinion. Sure. And I like that idea of it immersing you in the astrology of a given period, because that's definitely something I've seen just doing the forecast episodes with Austin and Kelly over the past three years, and even just doing it from that higher perspective mm-hmm. of what are the mundane transits each month um, really ties you into that. And I know that's something that you do and specialize in, especially, right, Adam, because your your primary forecasts on your website really focus on that, which is like, what are the major aspects that are occurring in the sky right now? And how might that relate to to everybody in general, not necessarily within the, the context of a, a sun sign column? Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, uh, the horoscope writing really, I've been calling my daily forecasts, daily horoscopes for years, uh, knowing that they're not exactly your traditional like, horoscope column. But mm. I've been calling them that because of the idea of a horoscope being like the horoscope also the hour marker, something that's sort of relevant and fresh to the to the day or the moment or the week, and trying to write about the possible archetypal combinations that you might see on any given day. But I feel that horoscope writing is also a a totally different muscle and um or set a different set of muscles or something. and i I love the challenge, but I've been writing like three hundred plus per year for like five years now, and that one of the things that I would say in, in such agreement with you, Joe, uh, is that there's no quicker like uh, garbage disposal for cliches than having to write something mechanically over and over and over again. <laughs> You're <laughs> so right. That's the best <laughs> analogy. It just because yeah. you because it gets to the feeling like I heard one of my students um, uh, said uh, she grew up um, doing a lot of fishing, so this you know, this kind of comes from her experience doing a lot of fishing. But she said um, uh, writing dailies for her felt like uh, cleaning and gutting fish. Like it's like a thankless task that it fe- it just feels like you're, you know, you're. everyone loves the final product. You bring a, a nice like filet of salmon to them or something and or whatever. But, um, but no, you know, the, but the dirty work of like, you know, yeah. going behind the scenes where you're just, you're just, you feel like a mad a madman and a fraud, you know, just <laughs> trying to 
And then something breaks through that, though, and you start new insights start coming through. And it, it's kind of like, um, well, I imagine it's very similar for people looking for inspiration with a musical instrument. You play your scales sort of monotonously. And then all of a sudden, when you feel like you're, you're about ready to tap out, something original comes through. And you, I think doing it so often and so regularly you you begin to develop the kind of inspiration that really good horoscope writers have found a way to tap into with a really probably a very long period of commitment or some kind of inner resource that they're pulling on that you can't recognize unless you're actually doing it. Oh, completely, completely. I can't tell you how many times it was like two in the morning and I was like, I've got a deadline. Like I can't, right. I can't say the full moon shines a spotlight on a certain house topic one more time. Like garbage <laughs> disposal that like it's, it's done. It's not fresh anymore. Yeah. And, and sitting there opening another word document and just like brain dumping as much, just getting as many words out of my head as possible, not even horoscope related. And it's like, that's when the insight comes in. That's when the symbols start to speak to you again in a way that, you know, you, you hadn't thought of before. It's just, it really is such endurance work. Like you have to have mad persistence to, to do this stuff. You know, what that reminds me of is uh, this idea that I think something in us, and I'm going to, I'm going to like, just go out away on a kind of esoteric limb here why is it that a group of us who are sitting here, you know, mostly we're into Hellenistic astrology. We definitely have understandings and, you know, interest in modern astrology as well. But why would we be all like pumped about horoscopes and and talking about them in this particular way? And I have to say that what if it's because there's something about ancient astrology coming from the divinatory tradition as a, a kind of a, the roots of Hellenistic astrology has an astral omen divination behind it. Those those traditions required basically blood sacrifice. You know, the, you, you, the diviner and the act of reading an omen or an oracle required sacrifice of some kind. You, you give to the oracle to receive. And I feel like there's something about the entire fascination with ancient astrology and even what we're talking about right now that has to do with us saying, you know, if you really want to get good at astrology, find a way to bleed a little while you're doing it. it it's, I don't know if that goes too far, but do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's a there, there's a part of it that you don't realize until you do it, which is that you have the basic, you were saying like the scales, the things that you have to play, which is just looking at um, what the transits are. So what the ingresses are relative to the whole sign houses or what the aspects are for the week. But then you have to actually dig deep in order to, to write something. And there's a sort of creative process there. Uh, that you're attempting to unlock in order to not just write like a monotonous, um, you know, repetition of the same things over and over again. But that question of the divinatory nature of astrology and the potential divinatory nature of horoscopes is actually kind of an important one because I never realized until I talked to Rick Levine a couple of years ago that that's almost part of like the underlying premise that a lot of horoscope writers have to approach this from that, that in some ways, their um the the horoscope that the person reads or or gets on a given day is is the one that's appropriate for them and there's something that's not entirely sort of scientific about that but instead there's some other component I would com go ahead go ahead what were you saying I was going to say I was going to say I completely agree with that um part of kind of my issue with horoscopes early on was that you know, there are so many of them, you know, which one is correct? You know, this astrologer interpreted this day for this sign this way, and this one interpreted it this way. And like, you know, there's, if 
if astrology has such a strong internal logic, wouldn't one of those be more accurate than the other? And the answer is no. Like they can both be accurate. And it's we're we're brushing on the fact that astrology is still a very mysterious practice here. And I think especially when you get a horoscope writer who really knows how to tap into that um that creative space and really unlock that, like you were saying, Chris, and like you were speaking to Adam, when, when horoscopes are written from that place and you are really, the writer really allows the symbols to speak to them or through them, that, that writing buzzes, you know, that vibrates at a frequency. And I do think that the people who are meant to read that specific horoscope will find it. And that's where you get people who are like, I read this person every single day. They always nail it. It's because there's some kind of frequency there that happens when, um, when the writer is, is really tapping something or really kind of channeling something. And that's of course, very mysterious. Like we can't explain that just with what the transits are. And, um, it's, it's humbling. And I think it's really important and valuable to continue to place yourself in situations where astrology, um, evokes that sense of awe again, like it did, you know, maybe when we've all first discovered it, but yeah, there's, there's something beyond just technique that, that makes these go, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, as, as much as I, um, am, I'm joking about like actual you know, bloodletting <laughs> while doing horoscopes, I feel like there is like, there's life force that's going into someone who's like Rick Levine uh, or, or, you know, uh, Susan Miller, even, you know, Completely. Like, one of my clients earlier today, in fact, I said, how are you doing? She said, I'm doing well. She said, I haven't, I haven't been up on your horoscopes lately. She said, I, but, but I, I read Susan Miller all the time. <laughs> and I was like, you know, and, and, you know, not at all, you know, an offensive remark to me because I'm like, well, of course, because my horoscope columns are filled with, uh, information that might be better suited to people who are kind of up on the 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 lingo you know but the the monthly column is something where a person you know often like you're saying is getting entrained like a uh in in shamanism they they talk about how the the way that a practitioner of shamanism uh teaches their student is through entrainment and that's really the way that probably ancient astrology worked in some ways as well would you would entrain yourself to a teacher and their patterns, their behaviors, their ways or modes of practicing, and their sort of field of influence karmically or something, uh, what they put out w- within it, um, you know, will attract certain people and repel others or whatever. But I think that the idea of there being the feeling of someone who's in a in some kind of um, they're 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 in it up up to their their blood with what they're doing and it's kind of, and it really, they really have to work it and then you kind of get entrained to that person that's really how most people are these days like they have their favorite youtube astrologer or they you know they have their favorite this or that and it's on some level it's because the sacrifice of work and commitment that an astrologer is giving does have a kind of field of influence that we step into and that we get attuned to somehow i think that's totally spot on there's probably also something about like the sidestry that you have with certain horoscope writers where there's going to be people that you click with or you resonate more with their speaking style or the way of approaching astrology or maybe just their writing style and something, you know, maybe it's the sinistry with that person or something like that. I don't even know. But it's interesting also that there's different in writing my first, you know, writing, doing videos of my first column last week. 
realizing really quickly that there's actually different styles in which I could have approached the same thing. Like I could have, I thought about halfway, because uh, there's also like different gimmicky styles. Like I thought about, you know, I could do this from the perspective of like an ancient astrologer and like how would a Hellenistic astrologer from the second century try to write a horoscope column if he if he wanted to. Uh, and I thought about trying to throw some of that terminology in of like, you know, Zeus is like hurling rays at Hermes and all that other stuff. And that would be like a funny, I, I think I might still like one month do that as kind of like a gimmick. I don't know if I want to get caught up doing it. Uh, I want to see Zeus throw some rays, man. <laughs> yeah. Please do it just for a month. Like, please, as a favor to us all, that would be right, amazing. Right. No, well, I've thought about doing that because also one of the things I've thought about doing is because each horoscope writer has such different styles, both from a technical as well as from a writing perspective, I'd almost like to do a series of like one month, sit down and record a set of 12 delineations like a monthly horoscope with one horoscope writer like sit down and do it with Adam and then sit down and do it with like Rick Levine and then sit down and do it with Susan Miller and just see the difference of the styles and how they're approaching the same subject but they're doing it from you know I don't want to go over the top and say like wildly different approaches but but sometimes significantly different approaches that are noticeable in different ways depending on what they choose to emphasize or how they choose to to present it because I realized very quickly that there were, you know, literal interpretations I could give to certain things. There were much more like archetypal interpretations that I could give. There were you could interpret some of them like spiritually, what is the spiritual import of this? There's a lot of different ways that you could approach it. And that is a sort of creative or interpretive decision that each astrologer is making deliberately in writing their their column each month. Yeah. I one thing that was coming to my mind when we were setting out to um have this talk today was uh the idea that this exact diversity that you're talking about is what makes horoscopes so important and also um really subversive because um they're emphasizing a, a certain level of astrology and um that again getting back to this idea of some forms of astrology being more divinatory um so one of the features of divination, which is something I've spent a lot of time studying, thanks in no small part to having uh, Jeffrey Cornelius come and speak at my program for a full week a couple of years ago, and he, you know, he was a big influence, and he wrote a, a book, kind of making an argument. You've had him on your show, so but for listeners who don't know, um, you know, he wrote a book called The Moment of Astrology, which is kind of an argument that all all astrology is a form of divination, may or may not, you know, be be true, but I took a lot from what he had to say. And one of the things that I think is unique about divination is that divination um, works in um, ways that are very uh, peculiar. So, for example, uh, the idea of going for a walk in the woods and your mind is occupied with something that's going on um, in your life and uh, a bird could appear on a limb and it's a bird, it's an objective creature that's not, you know, it's a part of its own situation its own field of activities but that bird has the uh, a power to speak as an oracle let's say it's a white owl and your grandmother collects statues of white owls and has them all over her house and you're thinking about her because she hasn't been well and you see that owl lands in front of you and you know oh my gosh your grandma passes away that day things like that happen like actually all the time and so uh the uh, the appearance of like an oracle or an omen is often it often happens in the way of sort of in, intruding in um, subtle ways through 
things that seemingly have nothing to do with whatever is going on in our heads or our lives. And I think that one of the things that people love about horoscopes and that people love about divination is that we're often so chained to the monotony of our life and our jobs and whatever in our own inner patterns that are hard to you know, be free of or whatever, that something intruding uh, into that and speaking, an appearance that has the power to speak, I think everybody craves that on some level. I think in so in that way, horoscopes are subversive. They have the power to sort of counteract mundane reality because you don't have to be, make any kind of real religious or spiritual commitment to flip open a magazine or to flip open a poetry book to a random page and then some poem speaks to you or to open up your fortune cookie and take it to heart or, you know, so I think horoscopes can intrude in people's lives in that way. And so they're a form of astrology that, in my opinion, something like sun sign horoscopes will always be around. In other periods, you had things like, you know, popular almanacs that weren't necessarily treated in the same way as like astrologers who might have been teaching at universities or, you know, people who were considered more like high-minded astrologers. You've always had a kind of folk level of astrology, I think, as far as I've learned. And so I think astrology's ability to sort of pierce through everyday mundane reality and say something is part of its power. Um, and also the um, maybe the other thing is that, um, you know, astrology for many people, that penetration of their everyday reality with a horoscope can be the gateway into a deeper commitment to the entire complex language of the birth chart or other things as well. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean that's a really important point that because one of the reasons that astrologers get tripped up on and sometimes become resentful of horoscopes is they say that's not, you know, looking at a person's entire birth chart and so that's not going to be accurate consistently because it's not tied into their actual planetary placements. And one of the real things I realized last week in doing mine is that although that's that's true, um what what will happen is that there will be this subset of the people where their underlying natal chart placements are going to line up with or are going to be tied into the exact placements that you're delineating on some months. And so while that might not always be true or might not be consistently true, there is going to be this element where there's going to be a subset of the the readers that you've written a specific column for where those are going to tie, uh, tie closely into their natal chart placements in that month, and then it's going to line up in a way that will be a hit. And that in and of itself can be useful and relevant and important for for some people because they can have that unexpected sort of chance-like experience suddenly of astrology working. Um, And it's working not because astrology is something that only works part of the time or that astrology itself is not valid, but it's just that by virtue of sort of the necessity of writing a more generalized column, it's only going to line up perfectly in some of those instances. And astrologers are almost making the assumption from the start in writing them that for some people, it's only going to fully line up if their natal chart and their current time lords and other things are matching with that or are are supportive of of what you're saying at that time. So yeah, um, anyways, but that idea of of divination as being that random or chance events have deeper and symbolic importance. I guess I was trying to figure out a way to to concisely summarize what you were what you were saying there in terms of that. Well, I think yeah, a simple summary would be that um spiritually speaking, it's a big commitment to 
to basically surrender your heart to the reality of the cosmos having some say or some mirroring power in your life to to go so far as to learn about what Saturn means or to learn about, you know, this or that. But to read Susan Susan Miller's Astrology Zone or to open up, you know, a magazine in the doctor's office and check out your horoscope column in L or, or, you know, some magazine or something like that, it's just a brief window where some something spiritual can sort of enter into your life and you can remember that there's some larger order to the cosmos without necessarily having to commit yourself to be like i believe in astrology i think for a lot of people that's why it remains very popular because it's sort of controversial to really sort of get into astrology you know you know what i mean yeah well and, and it does represent a radically different view of the prevailing almost scientific paradigm which generally holds that life in the universe is is sort of random random and meaningless and purposeless you know has no purpose um objectively except for that which we sort of ascribe to it subjectively in our individual lives whereas astrology seems to posit the opposite that there might be some sort of broader meaning or purpose to individual lives than that it sort of exists out there independently right so it's sort of like a gateway drug you know i mean i i think about it like that in terms of like a for people who are kind of bordering on a, um exploring spiritual life whether that's in astrology or somewhere else i feel like like i can think of people in my life growing up in the christian church right who were pretty closed down to the reality of astrology who would entertain reading you know they would maybe pick up a newspaper thing and read it and take it in and be like, huh, that's interesting. That sort of applies to me. Wow, that's neat. And then set it aside. Like, no, I don't have to commit to that because that was just for fun. But it has an effect on people over time, I think, too. So I I think it serves an important role in that way. Sure, definitely. All right. um, So what are are some of the other points that we wrote here about um, why horoscopes are valuable and important? So one of them, which one of you wrote this, that it demonstrates the idea that any one symbol from a chart can capture much larger symbolism than expected? I wrote that one. Or just because, you know, when we write a a horoscope, you could read, you know, uh for your sun sign, you can read for your rising sign. Um it it I think it has the effect of um allowing any symbol to become the um the subject of the any one symbol can become the oracle. It can become the means by which an entire um an entire set of symbols can revolve around placing the sun in the first house or looking at your the first uh horoscope for your rising sign and um uh, there's something to me about that that's like it says something about the flexibility of astrology as a language that it can do that yeah that's it's interesting that you say that because i was kind of reflecting on this as we were getting ready to have this talk today um about how i i kind of feel like there have been two really, really big revelations for me as far as my studies go so far, and I'm sure many more in the future. Um, but you know, that, that first initial thing where you find out there are more than sun signs and you find out just how deep you can get with natal chart interpretation and just how fully, um, a natal chart can describe a human being and their life and their circumstances. And that just is mind blowing at first, like right when you first realize that. And, you know, the, the difference, the huge gap between that and just reading something for your sun sign, if that's all you know, is enormous. And astrology feels much more massive than, than you knew, right? When you, or than you ever expected, right? When you're first learning this. 
But writing horoscopes um, blew my mind almost just as much because I realized it was almost like coming full circle. I was like, you know, astrology can describe a person in, in such a detailed, nuanced way, so multidimensional, so multifaceted, but it can also speak to literally just how your day went. Like it can do both of those things. And it's not that astrology is getting smaller when you talk about only one thing in a chart. It's almost like astrology is big enough to encompass being able to have all this depth in a natal chart, to be able to be so broad yet accurate for different people at different times in a horoscope. It's just, it's like astrology just keeps getting bigger and you, you, you know, you see it working in so many different ways that the, the scope is so vast. And that really blew my mind. Um, that kind of, yeah, that made me think of that, Adam. Totally. Totally. Right. And there's something still valuable about that, about dealing with people's mundane day-to-day lives. And even though astrologers in like a natal natal consultation, you're used to talking maybe more broadly about, you know, 30-year cycles or 40-year or cycles or what have you. And that's the, you know, frame of mind that people get into, or sometimes even when you're doing like topical consultations about marriage or relationships or career or something like that, that's still like broader life themes. Um the ability of astrology to also be able to address like day-to-day affairs and in, in a person's day-to-day life, there's something that's actually incredibly fascinating and valuable about that just in and of itself. Yeah. And I and you know, I was kind of thinking about how just with horary astrology, like if the cosmos cares about helping you find your keys and like what your third house means, it's like siblings and neighborhoods, like why wouldn't why wouldn't astrology, why wouldn't the cosmos be able to like have something capturable just in a daily horoscope for someone's rising sign. Like it's just the scope's really big and and you're right, you know, the themes can go from broad to specific to mundane and everywhere in between. It's just really impressive when you get down to it. Sure. And and what you were saying, Adam, is that the it's like the well of symbolism is actually much deeper than you would think to to draw on. Yeah. Um, you know, any one just yeah, it feels like any one symbol or or technique um, can be taken really far. And um, it's one of the reasons that I, I tend to stand on a soapbox with my students sometimes and suggest that they work on refining fewer tools at some point, maybe, you know, at some point just working on fewer tools because you will find as Joe was saying like so eloquently is that you'll, you'll find like, you know, he- heaven in a mustard seed. It's just uh, the, the there's a, a whole realm of um, amazing symbolism and accuracy can you know uh, available to us and sometimes i feel like we've talked about this before chris but i feel like there's a tendency uh there's a there's a kind of uh myth of progress that inundates us and, th- and we think to ourselves well you know you know i have to find more things floating around in the cosmos and incorporate them into my set of delineation techniques or tools in a chart and i think what we're saying about horoscopes is that in their simplicity, we can be reminded about something that's that's very, very vast. The same thing is true as to what I was saying with divination, where um, I, I, I really, I, one thing that other bothers me about astrology sometimes is I'll hear astrology sort of, astrologers sort of poo-pooing things like runes or tarot cards or other things because they don't have as much sort of scientific validity. Maybe there's a point to that. I don't have the final answer, but I I kind of personally believe that there are many different symbolic 
forms uh, that can communicate something to us that that mirrors or accurately describes our experience or can predict our experience. Um, so one simple example, I had a student of mine to, was testing this and she collected, she was a collector of um, movie stubs to the theater. So she would keep her stubs of what movies that she went to and she had them in like a uh, an old school lunch box. <laughs> and um, what she would do is when she was facing a question that she might normally go and look at the transits for, instead, she would just shuffle around in her box of movie stubs and pull out a movie stub. And she was a big movie buff. And so, you know, unfailingly, her choice of a movie stub and the details of the actors and the story and the, something within the the framework of the movie stub that she pulled would speak to her situation and she would find what she was looking for she would find some kind of predictive validity in what was being communicated through the poll and i guess my point is that uh another thing that i think horoscopes do is they kind of uh because they're they 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 are they can penetrate through something that's small and sort of ordinary and not rooted in your birth chart. They they bring us into the world of of symbol and um, divinatory consciousness itself, and I think that that's really valuable because it can only really enhance your um, your ability as an astrologer. Because I think that what personally I think that what makes a good astrologer is your consciousness as a, a reader or a, div, a, a quote-unquote diviner. So I think horoscopes are something that can teach you to do that because they subvert the temptation to think that because math is involved and it's more of a science that uh, it, this form over here is more elite than any other form or something. Sure. Yeah. And, and it seems like that's definitely there's an element to that from the perspective of the reader in terms of what they end up with and when they choose to read it and this sort of again just the idea of a random or chance like event having deeper symbolic importance of the universe speaking to you um but then from the astrologer's perspective it is like writing a horoscope column there is a highly technical part to it where you are actually trying to you're looking at where the planets are going to be over whatever x amount of time that you're looking at and you are specifically trying to draw symbolism and interpret meaning based on astronomically like where certain planets are going to be placed over the during the duration of that time whether it's uh you know those the breakdown whether it's a daily horoscope or weekly or monthly or yearly yeah i see it i mean in for myself and i know that you or and others may not take the view that i take and there's i think there's room for a lot of ways of thinking about this but I think of astrology as a form of divination that is utilizing uh, the astronomical movements of the sky. I think of it as like a more mechanical version of a tarot deck that's just rotating in the sky. And in order to read it, you have a different set of tools that you're using. And those tools are more analytical or mathematical or, um, and they're, they're rooted in something that is, you know, a, a physically observable repeating thing. And there, but I think that there's a temptation in that to elevate that above other forms of divination. Whereas I don't think that astrology has inherently more power as a divinatory tool than necessarily than other tools. And I say this because I have um, also incredible respect for uh, tarot and I Ching over time. I'm just really interested in them. So that's kind of where my stance comes from, I guess. Sure. Did you want to say something, Joe? Oh, yeah. Um- 
Well, I want to say quickly that I agree with you, Adam, on the the piece about, you know, astrology basically being a form of divination, possibly like one of the very most systematic forms of divination that really indulges our left brains, you know, you can like yeah. lean really hard into that. Um, you can get very academic with it, which is amazing. It's it's excellent. And I think Okay, so like I'm super into all forms of divination. Like your that movie Stubbs story, I was like, yes, that is the best. Like that's that's so cool and it's, you know, it works. That stuff works. Of course it does. But um with astrology, um though I view it as a form of divination, I think it's super important to make sure, especially when you're writing horoscopes, that you don't end up just kind of being like, well, it's divinatory anyway, I guess I'll just kind of fudge this and that. And not saying that any three of us are doing that here, but I think building technique is kind of like making sure you're building a vessel that has no holes. So if we are truly just channels for divinity and we're just doing a form of divination here, you know, your technique is what's going to build something that can hold that. And I think that's really important when you are dealing with something that is as systematic as astrology um, to really honor the technique side, not lean too hard into it and make sure you honor the divinatory aspect as well. But it's it's interesting to see how those two can work together and how beautiful it can get when you do have a strong technique, a, like a, a sound vessel and that connection to the divinatory aspect as well. That, that's when That's when work really begins to sing, in my opinion. Yeah, that's that's really well said. I'm thinking right now of a friend of mine who has he has a book coming out in a couple of months. I don't know the title of it. I should, but uh, it's coming out in a couple of months, and it's a book about um, uh, precognition. Mm. And he's a, a like PhD scientist, just an amazing guy, but has this really strong interest in um, you know uh, precog and stuff like that. So, and it, one of the points of his book though that was really interesting was saying that. Um, precognitive abilities, the ability to intuit something about the future um, on different levels uh, of description or prediction or whatever, um, that one of the things that he writes about is that, um, for example, if you give the, um, I'm going to get the hemispheres messed up, it's the left hemisphere that's more mechanical, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you give the left hemisphere a task, and it has to do a task really repetitively, right? It's like, okay, draw this square perfectly. Now draw another square within the square perfectly. And it has to pay very fine attention to something and a mechanical task that while it's occupied, the right brain will just flare open and things like precognitive ability can just come pouring in. And so I feel like to to just dovetail off of what you were saying that the way I understand, I currently understand technique within the paradigm of astrology as divination, which is a kind of a segue because that's a, a topic. I don't mean to hijack this conversation, Chris, with that topic, but if you are to understand astrology as divination, which not all astrologers do, but if you were to understand it that way, then I think it's fascinating to consider the idea that technique is a kind of uh, something that has to be done because the left hemisphere of the brain has to be occupied and doing something like a like a it has to generate a motor for the right brain to sort of like oh right hemisphere to like open up and tap into that kind of information does that make sense complete sense and i love that that's i've never thought about it that way specifically but um i've i've had conversations with rick levine that kind of 
to kind of tap on that. And yeah, I absolutely think that's a thing. Like just myself personally as some mercury remediation, I often give my left brain something to do. So the right brain can have a little space, space to breathe and like space to open up. But yeah, I think you, I think that's such a good way to put it. And I love that. Okay. Cool. Well, it, may, it makes some sense. I don't know yeah, if it's yeah, true yeah. or not. <laughs> so, sure. How can we know? But yeah. yeah. Sure. One of the things I've been thinking over the past few years, um, as I get into more and more issues where in astrology and thinking about, you know, in modern astrology, astrology is often associated with Uranus, but traditionally astrology was always associated with Mercury. And this idea of, of astrology fundamentally being a mercurial subject and Astrologers continually are always running into these issues where you have these these um, divisions between whether astrology is one thing or another, and you get astrologers often arguing like very aggressively or very passionately for their version of it, thinking that it's it's this like dichotomy that it's one or the other. But oftentimes, the the truth is probably that as a mercurial subject, that it's probably a bit of both. It can play for both teams. Right. right. And how else would Mercury want it? Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's exactly how Mercury would want it. So it's like you run into these issues of tropical versus sidereal or like whole sign versus quadrant houses or like sign based aspects versus degree based aspects. Like in ancient astrology, they built into a large parts of the system, like this fundamental issue where you have like two concepts that look like they're competing. And and it looks like you have to make a choice between one or the other, but the answer is probably both. And there's some element of both that ends up having some truth and validity. And over the past few years, even though early in my studies I was very influenced by like Jeffrey Cornelius and the work of Carl Jung and the ideas of astrology as synchronicity, and I think that's still more what I lean to in ter- terms of the conceptual mechanism underlying astrology. I've had to realize the more I've realized that astrology is probably a mercurial art, that there's probably still this other side to it where even if I still primarily conceptualize astrology as working through synchronicity or something like that, there could be some causal mechanism underlying it at the same time, especially with something like natal astrology or mundane astrology. Or, you know, there obviously is this divinatory component to astrology, but then there could also be this objectively occurring phenomenon that's occurring out there as well that's also relevant. And I think that's part of what astrologers might be tapping into as well when they do try to look at things like transits or even horoscope columns in a more systematic method by saying, you know, this Mercury retrograde period begins on this date and it ends on this date, and therefore that's when it's going to be relevant. And there's something that is a little bit more objective rather than just purely subjective to that. Yeah, that that's certainly yeah, that's certainly true. And um uh it's somehow the um it's yeah it's like it's somehow the the objective level of the um the data whether it's a card or whether it's the hexagram of the i ching or whether it's uh, um the astrological transit dates or whatever are somehow necessary and play some kind of causal role um uh you know otherwise you could just draw circles in the in the sand with your hand and then you know come up with some, you know come up with something and obviously it's not you know maybe there's some very gifted people who can do that but in general there yeah i i completely agree with you there's some interplay between the objective reality of the of the planets or the uh the the mode or of symbols that you're using and um what's happening 
Sure. So that actually brings up a, a observation I made I made recently where I noticed I was trying to do my like market research of like what are other you know uh, horoscope authors on YouTube doing in terms of their channels, and I was actually surprised at the number of astrology horoscope channels on YouTube now that rely heavily on tarot cards. And like a lot of the horoscopes that they're doing for like monthlies or dailies or weeklies are just doing tarot card readings for different signs. And I was sort of conflicted about that, about the, you know, on the one hand, feeling like if they're not actually looking at any planetary positions, then technically speaking, what they're doing isn't astrology versus on the other hand, if there is a divinatory component to astrology itself or to horoscopes, whether using some other form of divination and sort of trying to combine it to some extent, even just symbolically with astrology, if it wasn't some sort of means to an end and I shouldn't get caught up on the idea of it not being actual astrology. I mean, do you guys, where do you come down on that? I mean, this is a thing because here's the thing. I mean, it just is, it just is, right. you know, feathers get ruffled over it, but, but whatever, here we are. So like, I think it's important to if you are going to combine other divinatory techniques with astrology to just be real about it you know if you're using if if you are doing intuitive work um psychic work channeling for the for as horoscopes each month and you're being inspired by or incorporating some astrological symbolism that's fine like i think that is totally you know, another divinatory means to the same end, right? You're giving a message that's capturing something that's going to be important to a group of people. I completely support that. Is it astrology? No, not in the same way that your monthlies were, Chris. You know what I mean? So it's just a matter of recognizing that there are different things you can combine them. But I do think it's important to to say that like, well, you know, if they're if they're doing kind of like a tarot thing for each sign for the month, then, then they're doing tarot forecasts for astrology signs, but that's not really astrology. I still don't think there's absolutely anything wrong with it. It's just like, just being real about how much actual technique, astrological technique you're using to, to, you know, create the content or deliver the message. Just be real about that and otherwise have fun and combine because, you know, Mix and match is one thing, but learning and combining is better and can often yield like really incredible results. So does that make sense? How do you guys feel about that? Yeah, it's, it's just a complicated issue. Yeah. Um, there's there's no kind of convenient, like a clear answer, but it's an interesting issue for astrologers to discuss because it's sort of relevant to our, our field. So I, I love for what sure. you said about it in terms of that. Yeah, for several years, uh, I think probably three years now, I've been sometimes for my daily um column i'll just say you know this planet is doing this with this planet like the sun is going to oppose pluto um an I Ching meditation for the day and then what i'll have done is i'll have cast the I Ching asking the question how to uh make sense of or uh, please offer some reflections on the meaning of this transit and then i'll lay out the I Ching's sort of response in the the uh, casting that oracle and and getting the response from the I Ching, and I'll lay it out as a way of overlaying another form of divination on top of the transit in order to try to extricate some deeper symbolism through the language and imagination of Taoism and the I Ching. And I think when people are using tarot cards um, in a similar manner or any other form of symbolism in relation to uh, 
thoughtful meditation upon astrological symbolism. I actually love that. I think that's, I think that's amazing. And I'm really attracted to that. Um, what I don't like so much is when people do things like, they'll be like, okay, so, um, you know, Jupiter is, um, I don't know, Jupiter is square to Venus, Venus is square to Jupiter or something. And they'll be like, okay, well, uh, this is definitely the high priestess card. The high priestess card is a Jupiter Venus square. And they'll try to like too rigidly assign some, you know, some try to equate one symbol to the other and, and kind of be like, okay, well this, you know, this sign is this card and this sign is that card. And um, whenever it becomes too linear like that, I'm, I'm always just like, my attention just goes, just, I can't follow that. It kind of, have you guys seen that? Yeah. It kind of misses the point too, right? Like that's, that's a way you can layer these two systems of divination, but it's, um, yeah, it's good. You're kind of boxing it in. It does get like quite linear where yeah, it like just let, kind of let the high priestess both. like have her own yeah, voice, you do, know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like do her thing. Cause yeah, I don't know. I know. Yeah, that's I've seen that as well. Yeah, my interest drops way down too. I'm like, oh, okay. That's well. sorry. I'm 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 being critical, but I, I you know that I think I think there's room for the interlay of those things. But the other thing that I'm really sensitive about is that um, I do believe that with um, divination and like if someone's going to say, okay, I cast some cards for this spread, and here's what they mean. Here's what this is saying. I'm always like, ooh, once you start going into, um, you know, interpretations of what the planets are, uh, of what, what I'm trying to say is that um, when there's a, a kind of a hermeneutic component where you're interpreting the symbolism and what it means or what it's saying, I feel like that's a distinctly different um, move. One of the things that I, going back to Chris's appeal to some objectivity, is that with astrology, you're using a shared language that everyone can who knows the symbols can basically comment. They can really like write in your comment section on your Facebook feed, be like, you're whack. That's not what Saturn and Venus are all about. They don't have to do with this or that. Like, because we all know what Saturn and Venus mean. But when when people, you know, start using too many forms of divination in in a sort of haphazard way, or they start becoming the 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 oracle reading and making sense of it all like okay the angel cards are speaking this the astrology is doing this here's what everyone's going through right now like th- that kind of thing i i don't consider astrology personally because there's there needs to be some shared level of um uh technique and uh the, the language needs to be shared enough so that we can be held accountable by each other and come to roughly similar conclusions like I'm guessing that Chris, going back to Chris's point, if you were to compare Rick Levine, Susan Miller, uh, you know, other horoscope columns every month, you'll see them all saying something sort of similar about that August 27th lunar eclipse with Mars retrograde. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. I mean, to exactly. me, that's the objective component to astrology is that, you know, somebody talking about Uranus, if you started talking about Saturn and applying a bunch of Uranus significations to it, you would be met with those objections in the comments section of why are you interpreting that specific planet in that way? That seems contrary to the way that astrologers normally understand its meaning. And in that, there's some sort of shared um, agreement. But um, it's interesting though that so so you do incorporate because you you're open to viewing astrology as more divinatory you do incorporate other forms of divination like the each I Ching into your your general forecasts 
So you're trying to balance a little bit of that that objective component from the astrology as well as the more subjective component from a purely divinatory or symbolic system. Yeah, and I mean, my basic reason for doing it is because I believe that there are it's very similar to the reason that you were led or compelled to um start doing horoscopes yourself. I tend to believe that astrology is can be a more elite sort of specialized intellectual language. And I feel like it's kind of, to me, it's like the I Ching is very similar because it's uh, it's all math and numerology centric. Um, tarot, for example, um, is I consider to be a more feminine um, form of divination specifically because it's more imagistic and it's more about relating to uh, image in an imaginative kind of way. And so I consider the, call it masculine or feminine, just call it yin or yang, maybe that's the better way of putting it. But so I think of a, a massive amount of people out there are not going to get so into the the headspace of astrology, whereas they they may get into a monthly horoscope because it doesn't, it doesn't require as much commitment. Similarly, there are a ton of people who will resonate with the language of the I Ching because it has a way, If I, when I overlay it and use it to make sense of a transit, what I'm doing is saying, okay, um, here's the way that I see the teachings of the I Ching in this particular uh, reading uh, commenting on or as a reflection upon the transit. I have so many people who love those who tell me they otherwise can't digest astrology. So I feel like it's like a, a yin-yang balance that I, that's why I like to bring it in. And it appeals to more people. Sure. But you're pretty clear about saying when you are doing that and sort of demarcating it from the astrology to some extent versus one of the things that I've thought is potentially problematic about the the taroscopes that I've seen is maybe the potential for people who don't know to just sort of confuse what's happening or to think that it is astrology that's being done when in some instances it's just um, you know, it's a video and it says this is a reading and it's supposed to be for Scorpios. So they'll cast the cards and pull them for whatever amount of time, the day or the week or the month. And then all Scorpios have that reading. Um, but then I guess the issue or the question is because there's no actual analysis of any planetary movements involved, um, to what extent that is astrology or, or, or should come off as astrology or be presented in that way versus shouldn't? Yeah, I I I turn the channel when that stuff comes on. Yeah, well, <laughs> okay. you know, I was gonna my... say. So for you, that say, is Adam, too far. Yeah, I can't get into that. That's to me, that's bordering on charlatanism. But I I won't be. I don't want to be judgmental because I'm sure there might be people who are. I mean, I think it depends maybe on some on some levels on the consciousness of the reader. But I, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just. Uh, what were you saying, Joe? Well, I was going to say, Adam, that's one thing I really like about your work is like you do incorporate the I Ching and you're also very clear on the fact that you are, you know, like you're incorporating the I Ching as a, as kind of a commentary on the current astrology. And you also literally run an astrology school. Like we know you're an astrologer and you know your stuff and you have that tool set. I know that's kind of like maybe harsh, but, but it's true, you know, like, like it's very clear where you stand on this. You're not doing I Ching stuff and throwing in some tarot and throwing in this and that, and then calling yourself an astrologer and you have to like, you know, where's right. the astrology? That's not how it is with you. And I think that's really important in this case because, you know, we're all astrologers, but we have to realize that from the outside, many people don't know if there's a difference between tarot and astrology and being psychic and all that stuff. 
it like there's confusion around that. And so I think as practitioners, um, as astrologers, as, you know, as, as people who engage with divinatory arts and techniques, it's our job to be really clear on how we combine these things whether or not we're combining them, the extent to which we combine them, and to hold others accountable as well. You know, like I said, I have no problem with with people doing, you know, tarot scopes or whatever. But just be clear that you're just drawn that you're doing tarot readings for the signs, you know, asking the tarot what its commentary is on this sign for this period of time. That's not, not astrology, using, right? Yeah. And just being clear so you're not creating confusion, calling yourself a tarot reader and astrologer. Because, like, are you really an astrologer? If you're not, no big deal. Still engage with astrology on whatever level. Just be honest about what you're doing. And I think that's where, you know, I mean, it can be hard when you're just trying to, like, get crossover views and stuff like that. Like, just honestly, really practical things. It's easier to not be clear, but I think we all have that responsibility, which is why, like, I'm glad conversations like this happen because it's important. That's really well said. Yeah, it's just an interesting phenomenon I noticed that kind of um, surprised me when I was doing research into what people were doing now and like what was popular. And I was surprised at how popular that was as a sort of approach. And there's different there's differing levels of integration, it seems like, of using tarot or other forms of divination into the astrology. But there was more of that extreme of primarily doing tarot almost under the guise of astrology than I expected. So it'll just be an interesting thing in the future is that I, I'm sure continues to grow and become more popular or more influential how astrologers react to that or what the sort of position is. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other topic really. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about some of the technical aspects of doing a horoscope column uh, before we, we run in, run out of time here. So one of the things as I was researching this was there's so many different mediums nowadays in which horoscopes are done. So there's written columns, which, which cover a full sort of vast array of different things. I mean, what are the number of different ways that written columns show up at this point? Like there's, there's like newspaper columns. If newspapers presumably still exist and some people still read newspapers, there's like, you know, blog (laughs) people, have websites and blogs, and that's where they write their like monthly or weekly or daily columns. Uh, there's like Twitter horoscopes you can like subscribe to. What what else is there? Where else do like written columns show up? There are like text horoscopes now. I ghost wrote one of those for a while. Um, okay, so it's texted right to your mobile you phone. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about my a friend of mine who did a horoscope column for. I mean, it was some, you know, random website that just happened to include horoscope columns. And um, I think they're, they're all over the web. I mean, there's, they're in all sorts of nooks and crannies out there. Mm, Apps too, like, like astrology apps, horoscope apps specifically. Right. Horoscope apps. That's how um, David Palmer became really big is I think he was one of the first astrologers that put out like an app for astrology a few years ago. Um, and built a large following as a result of that. I've seen like Rick Levine's stuff. I was sitting in like a like an Einstein Brothers bagel, like eating a bagel one day a few years ago, and I looked up at the TV and one of like Rick Levine's written horoscopes for the day like showed up on the screen. So sometimes those written horoscopes get like repurposed in all sorts of different different places. Totally. Um, so there's written ones. There's now over the past 10 years with the rise of YouTube, there's the advent of like video horoscopes 
uh, which are becoming very popular. And there's some YouTubers out there that are doing very well with those. That's sort of the market that I decided to get into because I was more interested in being able to display the chart and actually like talk about it as I was presenting the horoscope. Um, there's also like audio ones. I know there's some podcasts that do sort of audio versions of like the transits or, or doing a horoscope or what have you. So yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of different mediums. There's also different lengths of time. There's yearly horoscopes, there's monthlies, there's weeklies and dailies. I think that's the main breakdown is those four, right? Also Deccanlies, yeah. if you're Austin. Austin Austin <laughs> Kopic, our good friend, does Deccanly horoscopes since the Deccans divide the Zodiac into uh, basically 10 degrees or 10 days each. So he's basically doing a horoscope for every 10 days. Um, okay, so there's different lengths. And one of the questions, I mean, one of the things that came up immediately was, you know, what does one look at or how should one focus? What should you focus on depending on the time frame involved? Because if you're looking at like an entire year, obviously you can take a number of things into account in terms of outer planet transits and inner planet transits and everything else. But if you're doing just dailies, you have a much shorter time frame of let's say just 24 hours and this question of, you know, what is going to change during that time frame that's relevant to draw and to, and to look at. And that becomes one of the major challenges of doing this type of astrology, depending on what your time frame is, is, you know, what do you actually look at? So, so has that been, a, was that an initial issue for you guys or has that been a recurring issue? Yeah. Um, I, uh, um, well, in the horoscope in the horoscope columns um i find that it's a matter of narrowing down, like your what are your priorities like for example henry uh who's the kind of owner founder of astrograph and the time passages software that i write horoscopes for he often says that you know he likes to pay special attention to the ruling planet of whatever sign is on the ascendant so if you're doing a sun sign column for you know cancer he'll pay extra attention to the moon um, that's like, uh, that seems to be part of his take. And I imagine other astrologers, other horoscope writers out there would probably share that idea. Um, because I'm at this point sort of wired into Hellenistic. I'm spending, I, I love ingresses, you know, I love in, ingresses play into how I, I'm already looking at whole sign house sort of transits. And, um, and then it, it, what I find is that you can, in any given month, you know, there might be a huge amount of aspects being made, like exact aspects that are sort of perfecting by degree that you could look at or uh, eclipses or, you know, or, or whatever. And then if you're like Henry, who also looks to look at Eris and Chiron and everything else, it's like, uh, you know, at some, for me, I get overloaded. So I just, I focus on ingresses and I focus on um, maybe like a full moon if it's closely conjoined with a planet or a new moon if it's closely conjoined to planet or something like that. Uh, you know, so I have my own, like, I guess, uh, selection process, but it's evolving too. It's changing as I see what does and doesn't wor work over time. Sure, definitely. And, and let's actually talk about that because that is the foundation of everything, which is when a horoscope writer is doing a horoscope column, their primary, primary premise is that they're looking at the sun sign of the person and that they're doing whole sign houses, derivative houses, or derived houses, depending on how, what you want to call it, from the sun sign and pretending that the sign that the sun is in is the first house, the sign after that is the second house, and so on and so forth. 
and they're they're basically in their mind either using that as the premise or they're basically pretending as if they're reading it relative to the rising sign because they're basically treating the sun as almost the ascendant to the rising sign itself on some level. So all sun sign columns or all horoscope columns are essentially doing whole sign houses from the sun or they're treating it as if you're looking at the person's rising sign on on some level essentially, right? Right. Yeah. The concept of solar houses. Solar houses, right. That's exactly right. Just kind of assuming the sun and rising sign are the same sign and that's where you get your house significations or areas of life for the horoscopes you're writing about. Go ahead. I was just going to say really quickly, that's fascinating to me because even though it it wasn't until the 1980s that, that Holden published that obscure paper where he pointed out that Holstein Houses was an early form of house division in the Hellenistic tradition and then subsequently that was confirmed by Project Hindsight a decade later and popularized by people like Rob Hand. Technically, horoscope writers since the like 1940s have been using Holstein Houses from the sun sign basically in in some roundabout way, um, even though that wasn't otherwise like a, a popular form or used form of house division in Western astrology until the past few decades essentially, right? Well, that's why all of us are here talking about it. It's the only reason. We like the whole sign houses. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> Don't involve me in that. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just teasing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and really, there's no other option. When, when all you have is the sun sign, you know, house systems in general become completely irrelevant because you really don't even have houses. So, so yeah, exactly. A whole sign perspective using the sun sign as the rising sign, that first house was, yeah, that's, that's what was used. That, that gives at least some framework when you've got very little to root to. Yeah, well, think, well, hold on a sec, though. Is that true, though, that the house division isn't relevant? Because are they still technically basically doing houses from the sun sign, basically, at that point? I mean, is that or is it true? I guess I'm, what I'm getting at is I'm trying to understand, like, certainly that's the approach that I took, because I just treated it as I was looking at the 12 rising signs and then doing whole sign houses from there. But really, most sun sign writers, they will still interpret like the third sign from the sun as being the third house. And so therefore they are using a form of house division where they're using like derivative houses from the sun sign, right? Yeah. Yeah. What I meant was any other form of house division, such as quadrant house division is just impossible to use since there's, there are no degrees involved for the houses. So yeah, yeah. House division is definitely still relevant. Houses are still being used or house significations. I didn't want to yeah, I want to make that clear. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you, Chris. You okay. you could do something like, okay, like a horary chart. A, a, you're casting a chart at the moment that you write, um, the, you know, the the column. I mean, it, w- it would be re- absurd, really, but you could, you could, you know, find the time when Taurus is rising and sit down and, and cast a chart at some point during there while meditating or something, you know, like come up Whoa. with some kind of quadrant-based form that that had a a spark in the in the moment that you wrote it i guess but i mean yeah it's not it's really not not and i always like to tell people when um when you're doing so they they have a technical grasp on what astrologers are doing you put the you put okay so if you're cancer sun like that's that's my sun sign so if you put your cancer sun at the beginning of the month i what i would do is i'm writing is i cast a chart for july 1st and cancer is whole sign first house and then what i'm doing is i'm anchoring that chart and then casting a by wheel around it and then watching the transits change day by day through that chart that's fixed with cancer rising 
as a whole sign house. And it's the interactions of where the planets are moving through all of the houses in the wheel for the rest of the month that horoscope writers are deriving their interpretations from, just in case that's not totally clear. That's a big part of how we we write these. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's what's fascinating and why I thought it would be interesting and actually doable for me is that's essentially what I'm doing anyways when I'm doing transit analysis is looking at the whole sign houses relative to the person's rising sign. And then you do pay attention to like, if Saturn has just ingressed into their fourth whole sign house, is that having some symbolic significance for their home and living situation or what have you? So it's like sun sign writers are kind of doing the same thing. The audience is typically reading it from the perspective of their sun sign, although um, more and more I've seen more you know astrologers at this point also encouraging their read- readers to read it from the perspective of their rising sign because that's probably more tied in with how they would read it if they were able to actually look at the person's birth chart. Yeah, totally. And that sort of raises the the side issue of I always thought that perhaps there's going to be some people like perhaps people with day charts that respond more strongly to their their sun sign whereas there might be other people let's say like people with night charts or where the moon is more prominent in the chart that might more might respond more strongly to their moon sign or or, or something like that. And I was wondered if that was part of the reason why you sometimes will have people that really strongly respond to like their sun sign column versus other people who that doesn't resonate as much with them. Go ahead, Joe. Oh. Um, well, I was going to say um, sect definitely has something to do with it. The natal chart definitely has something to do with it. You know, if you've got an angular sun, you know, chances are you'll you'll relate a little more to your sun sign. Same with the moon and, you know, infinite, infinite mitigating factors for that. Right. But also um, solar houses, um, whole sign houses starting from the sun sign are not the kind of only technique utilized, at least for when I was writing daily horoscopes. Um, when you do write these horoscopes, a lot of times you'll get kind of a combination of solar houses. So those will be the interpretations or the parts of the horoscope that will talk about areas of life. So, mm. you know, like, oh, your boss might be cranky today. They're probably talking about a transit through the 10th house, um, you know, potentially the sixth, depending on who's writing it. But another technique that you can use when you write these or that's often used is just the idea of where these transits or configurations are happening relative to the sun sign by aspect. So, you know, let's say there's a new moon in Cancer, you know, for Capricorn, that's going to be angular, that's going to be square, there's some kind of cross purposes, square energy to where this event is happening, versus for a Pisces, that would be configured to their sun sign by trine. And that changes kind of the flavor and the way you write about what that could mean for that sign. So what's interesting, and the reason I encourage people to read for both their sun sign and their rising sign is that often for the area of life, like where that new seed is being planted or whatever, if you're, we're talking about like a new moon, um, the area of life will, will strike more of a chord if they read from their rising sign. So it's going to be way different if that cancer new moon is in the 10th or in the 12th. Right. Um, but as far as sun signs go, you know, how that energy interacts with that solar energy in themselves might describe more of a general mood or like how it's hitting them, you know, more deeply, you know, what, like for what their sun sign describes about them. So I personally think, oh, and this, you know, this varies a lot writer to writer. Some writers lean very heavily on solar houses. Some lean very heavily into the archetypes of the signs and the, and, you know, how different transits are configured to that sun sign and how those energies interact. But 
that's why I think it's important to, you know, read for your sun, moon, and rising, because you'll you'll get something from different writers for different reasons. And that's that's part of why. And I do like to emphasize that when, you know, people ask me, you know, how are horoscopes even written? Like, how do you figure out what to write about? And, you know, which one should I read? And you can get a lot out of out of both of these things for these reasons. I also sure. I also feel like and tell tell me what you think about this, Joe, but do you feel like I get people that write to me and they say specifically, I don't know which one to read for. And if I read for my sun, moon and rising, I get overloaded. So in that case, I feel like what I usually say in the in the same spirit is like, well, read like three months in a row and see if one of the three really stands out, you know, and then maybe just narrow it down to that one if you're feeling overwhelmed. Um, for, and I, I always mention sect. I'm always like, if you're born at nighttime, try the moon and see if that fits first. If you're born at daytime, try the sun. I use it as a general technique, not that it's, you know, not that it works in every single instance. Um, and then I always say, and I, I almost always tell people to read additionally for your rising sign as well. I feel like that's for me anyway, I just, I always have seen, um, some compatibility between, uh, the rising sign and if whether I'm reading for the sun or moon. So I don't know. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, like it is easy to get overloaded, especially if it's like a whole monthly column and it's pretty long. Yeah, like, yeah. Like if you were to read all like three of read. Susan Miller's, like, you know, you might as well, you, you know, make a bag of popcorn and sit down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was reading hers the other day. I was really surprised. She had like five pages for each sign. Yeah, that's all Whoa, she does every dude. month cool. because uh, I was, when I was, um, in New York City, my first astrology teacher, Rebecca Gordon, who has been on the Dr. Oz show doing astrology and has a book out about medical astrology and so forth. Um, she was she was my first astrology teacher and a uh, fantastic horoscope writer. And she was a student of Susan Miller's for a long time in New York City. And, I, and she told me one time that basically like, you know, Susan spends all basically all month writing those horoscopes. It's like, that's her okay. sole thing. And obviously she's like wildly successful at it. So I guess if that's like the only offering that you're doing, you could, you could give a ton of attention to like five full pages for each sign. Sure. Yeah. Um, and it is interesting how things are shifting though, in terms of, I don't, I don't think in like 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, especially that that was articulated as much that you could read it from the perspective of your ascendant sign. It was always just presumed that people were reading it from the perspective of their sun sign. But now you do have columns where even people like popular columnists like like Chani Nicholas, you know, says explicitly like read it from your sun sign or your ascendant sign, like at the top of each of her uh, sections for each sign. But also, uh, I've been surprised seeing how how many more how popular the concept of just the rising sign or how many more young people know what their sun moon and rising sign are because it's so much more easy to calculate at this point uh, through you know astro.com or through cafe astrology or what have you and just like yesterday i was reading this um like a pop astrology twitter account and they were just like post your picture in your sun moon and rising sign and there was just like hundreds of people in their like teens and 20s posting their sun, moon, and rising sign, and then a picture of themselves. And it just blows me away how much more accessible astrology, like more advanced levels of astrology have become that the knowledge of one's rising sign might become 
at some point, you know, just as common knowledge as your sun sign, perhaps. Maybe not that much. That may be going a little bit far, but at least it's getting up there much more than it was even five or 10 years ago. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's just so much easier. You know, you don't have to calculate it by hand. You don't have to deal with like tables of houses and logarithms. Like you literally can in like three clicks, like you have it and you know it. So yeah, it's it's huge. That's a huge change in just how astrology is perceived, which is actually awesome for for you know horoscope writers. We can say read for your rising sign or for your ascendant and people will be able to know what that means easily and be able to do that. So it's really cool stuff. Right. That seems really crucial. But it's interesting then your point then about Sometimes the fact that you're looking at the transits as aspects to the sun sign using like sign-based aspects or even degree-based aspects, if they happen to be close enough in the person's natal chart, that perhaps the some of the sun sign interpretations or moon sign or what have you would still be relevant because those are still sign-based aspects to the natal sun sign. And so therefore that still has some independent value and you might not want to completely forget about the sun sign even if you know your rising sign. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And it really does vary writer to writer. So like for the kinds of questions you get, Adam, you know, for for your work specifically, you might be able to advise them one way or another. But just just generally for people who get overwhelmed reading for all of them, just kind of start reading one, start reading, you know, start reading for your sun, start reading for your rising, start reading for your moon. And if one really sticks and resonates, uh, just read for that one and just know that if you check out another column, it could be that if your moon sign, you know, someone does a really good job writing horoscopes for your moon sign and that's what you read from there, it might be your sun sign for another one or your rising for another one just because you're you're always going to get these unique perspectives and, and flavors with these different voices. Uh, yeah. And I think it's also important to recognize the tendency that we have. I know that I had this tendency when I first read horoscopes to bounce around online looking for a <laughs> column that I thought was going to give me some goodies, <laughs> you know, like, Oh yeah. hundred you know, percent. You know, and, and, it, and it, yeah. it's valuable to actually, if you're going to look for a, a column that you like or whatever, make sure that it, it addresses the, the, some of the difficult things that you go through as well as some of the enjoyable. It's not just something that makes you feel good, but that it's something that describes your your journey for the month in an accurate way, the, the ups and the downs, I think. Because otherwise, I think there is a tendency to gravitate towards, it's not even that the horoscope writers, it may be fluffy. It's just that you gravitate toward a tone or a mood that you like, that, but, but that may not challenge you um, at all. And I think, you know, being a little bit challenged by astrology is is part of the point, I, I think, because it's, it's here to help us grow. That's my feeling about it anyway. I mean, yeah, that was a yeah, legitimate totally. issue that I ran into in trying to do some of the delineations is sometimes I would start looking at something that seemed like more of a negative or challenging placement and interpreting it that way. And then I would start worrying about how, you know, hundreds of people were going to interpret that. And if, if saying, making negative statements would freak people out and how to frame some of that. And then it was an interesting then process for me thinking about some of that because then it made me want to fall back on more of sort of less on my like ancient astrology training and more on my psychological and like modern archetypal astrology where they're a little bit more used to being able to couch some of that stuff in more uh, constructive or less dire sounding terms. Yeah, I remember when I first started writing for Henry at the beginning, you know, I was like just going full on Hellenistic and some of the writing and he was like, man, this is it's kind of a bummer, you know. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> right. 
And I was the like, the same thing happened to me, Adam. When I first started ghostwriting, I had um, the astrologer and their editor, you know, they're like, they're like, look, Joe, like you're improving and these are, these are good, but like, some of them are doom scopes right. and they literally called some of them doom scopes. They're like, all right, these are doom scopes. Like you need to redo these just because I would like, I'd be like really feeling into the trans and I'd be like, oh, you know, there are some challenges here and I would write it, you know, as I felt it. And I've got like traditional training as well. Like I, you know, I came from Chris's Hellenistic course, but yeah, it's so funny. You have to, it, it's interesting to explore how to language these things with honesty, but also realize like, you're writing basically for the general public or for astrology enthusiasts who who may not have the same familiarity with some of these more dire terms. Well, so right, it's, right, it's a trip. Uh, yeah. Or might take it more seriously. Whereas astrologers yeah. or people in the astrological community for a few years understand to take interpretations with a certain grain of salt. And I'm not trying to frame that, but it's it's almost yeah. something that you learn once you get into astrology in terms of this is somebody's interpretation and. There's going to be like a range of of accuracy depending on how closely it's tied in your birth chart, depending on your transits and your time lords and mitigations and all sorts of other variables that are outside of the control of the person doing the interpretation, even if you're interpreting a birth chart, but somebody in the general public just coming to it and reading their horoscope for the first time may not know that and, and know how seriously to take some of those statements. Yeah. I, I recently read something written by an editor of a horoscope writer, and the editor was talking about um, <clears throat> this horoscope writer was um, no longer working at the um, newspaper, and the editor was saying uh, something that made this writer's uh, this hor- these horoscopes very popular and successful. And he said it was a very he said his you know I, I read all of them over many decades or something, and he said that the um, thing that made the horoscope successful was the um a simple formula he said and he said you know basically dear aquarius or whatever sign uh there are some challenges this month um but don't worry you'll get through them because you have the inner resources you need to do so and he was like you know that was it that was his summation of what the horoscopes were whether that's fair or not you know i don't know because i hadn't read these before but I read that and I was uh I was struck by it because I think horoscope personally I think horoscopes sure they could that's a good that's not a bad accomplishment for a horoscope if that but if that's all the perception is then I do think there needs to be some more accurate delineating uh, there needs to be a little bit more predictive accuracy so that someone could say well it wasn't just a simple formula of here's some challenges here's how to feel good it it was you know these are maybe the specific types of challenges, or these are where you may have um, some good fortune, or you may be experiencing something that's more enjoyable or positive. And we should ha- we, ha- we should have some ability to speak to that without, you know, without going to the opposite extreme and making a person feel like they don't have the inner resources to overcome challenges. Yeah, and then that goes back to your original point, which is that you feel like it is important to acknowledge some of the challenges or the, the difficulties that will arise. In whatever the given time frame is that you're talking about. Yeah, or to say, like, you know, okay, you've got, you know, Venus opposite Neptune across your first and seventh house, you may have a a romantic encounter, or you might want a romantic holiday, or I mean, something that, that's kind of fun or whatever, but watch out for, you know, some kind of um, you know, be sure that you're clear on what's uh fact and what's fiction. I don't know, some standard 
Venus opposite Neptune transit. It's I think you can you can be flexible enough to address some things that might happen in the negative or the positive with the prediction as as well. Um, so it doesn't have to be too like concretely predictive, but I think some predictive, concrete predictive value in horoscopes that uh, may be good or bad, um, you know, without being a joy kill is is necessary. And yet, one of my frustrations with some horoscope columns is that I think that that formula that the editor mentioned is sort of the standard, where it's sort of it's f- filled with sort of cliches about uh, you know. Uh, becoming more personally empowered, setting your strong intention and following through. I mean, just this, just sort of, do you know what I mean? Sure. The attempt to be sort of empowering. I mean, that was an overwhelming thing in in modern astrology in general was the attempt to use astrology for self-actualization and personal empowerment. So I assume that's part of where that's coming from. Although having written one last week and realizing that issue about saying negative things, I now understand why somebody might want to err t- towards right. that, and and the sort of issue that you run into of of that versus being more realistic. Or I ran into an issue even just delineating the twelfth house, where my initial impulse uh, from coming from Hellenistic was to talk about you know contrasting the eleventh house and somebody having a lunation or a Mars retrograde there in the eleventh house of friends versus like the twelfth house of enemies, and starting to talk about enemies within the context of a person's sun sign or a horoscope column and then quickly realizing like that's a little bit weird or that might not be as useful or appropriate or could freak people out and feel more more disempowering rather than empowering and i couldn't decide between that versus to what extent it might be accurate and a person runs into issues with somebody whose you know agenda is contrary or crosses paths with theirs in a negative way in that month I don't know. I just I ran into funny issues about also just you know literal interpretations versus more broad symbolic interpretations of certain placements like the twelfth or the third house. Well, and and I think a lot of this is how how we massage the language and like how much vocabulary you have to describe these things. Because like you're right, the twelfth. I'm like, oh yeah, hidden enemies, and I forget that people are like, wait, what do you mean? Like what? what about hidden enemies in my life? And I'm right. like, no, no, no. I mean, maybe not, but maybe. And then you're like, and then you're right. like, oh, great. You know, like do better next time, Joe. But you know, right. there, there's a way to tell somebody to, to watch out for something like that without being like, there might be a hidden enemy waiting around the corner. It could be something, you know, you can combine some of these more modern things like the 12th house being, you know, a place of meditation or um, having good alone time or also just being, you know, it could be a time like when there's 12th house stuff that you just feel lonely and it kind of sucks. But you can, anyway, back to the hidden enemies, <laughs> favorite topic. Um, you can tell someone to look out in an empowering way. Be like, you know when to trust your gut and you should do that now because like, you know, without saying there's literally someone out to get you. There's a creeper you can, in your in bushes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even that, the way that you framed that and reframed that is interesting because it was more process-oriented about what they should be doing and and giving almost sort of an advice and and phrasing it. Proactive, yeah. Yeah. Which which is very interesting. Right. Because like, there's a big difference between telling someone their weekend's going to be bad and telling someone, all right, time to start being proactive about how to set yourself up for success because like, it's going to be hard. And you can do it though, but like it will be hard. That still empowers people and it gears them up to draw on the resources they have without you just saying, it'll be hard, but you have the resources. You can be realistic, but still make it about being proactive or make it about how their strengths will mitigate 
the creeper in the bushes. <laughs> yeah. It's just really, it's interesting and important to me just because it's, you know, there is a way where it could be just straight predictive of this will happen. And then like, period, that's the end of the sentence versus this is the, this is probably what you may encounter. And this is the advice in order to surmount it or get around that or, you know, get through that in your life. <laughs> that's your fault, Adam. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh my God. okay. We're okay. Adam, We're back. I'm still, still laughing about the creeper in the bushes. <laughs> in the <laughs> That, I just keep looking at it. No, I know. <laughs> that's going to become the title of this episode. I've been trying well, to come up. You have the title, the... Chris. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you could also say like, <laughs> no, I got to. <laughs> you could also say that, you know, you could do, you could kind of combine both. You could be like, there could be an, a hidden enemy, but you may also be your own hidden enemy as the self, as the 12th house is also the house of, you know, self-destructiveness or I, I find that right. there's also ways usually of like melding themes together in a way that kind of can get at the multivalence of possibilities in any house too. That's Definitely. yeah, exactly. And again, this, this really all comes back to, to kind of language and experience and how you flesh it out because like the whole goal here is to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> all right, I'm just going to cover that part of the screen so I can't see you laughing. The The whole goal here is like, you know, as astrologers, we can think about the 12th house and we can think about like the huge, you know, range of experiences people can have with transits to the 12th. Our job is to communicate that to someone, you know, who who wouldn't. So if we can draw on multiple options or or multiple possibilities, like you were saying, Adam, with, you know, there could be a hidden enemy, but that hidden enemy could be you. And like, the more you can flesh that out, the more you can give people the tools and and say things that are evocative enough that the reader gets a sense of the theme as well and starts to fill in the blanks with their own imagination. So the more we can do that as as writers, I think the better. And and yeah, again, this this kind of circles back to like why writing horoscopes is so so uh valuable and such a good exercise. It teaches you how to do that, how to be evocative with these themes and how to <laughs> how I, to focus on more than just one theme, Adam. Yeah, I'm sorry. It, well, well, and it, it brings up issues that are relevant. These are actually all issues that are relevant for <laughs> astrologers in general doing natal astrology. Um, it just almost is a more intense and immediate uh, way to force yourself to deal with some of those issues. Because one of the other ones that we're dealing with here, of course, is also you know how to make how to make sometimes you the, the the tension between wanting to make very specific statements and but not wanting to be overly specific so that it's not actually applicable to the majority of your audience or who you're talking about versus um not wanting to go in the opposite extreme of making overly general statements so that whatever you say could be applicable to just like anybody that reads the column which is one of the allegations often against sun sign astrology, both by astrologers as well as by skeptics who say that it's just, you know, the Barnum effect or it's just confirmation bias and and all horoscope writers are are saying is things that anybody could pick up and, and agree with that statement because it's written in such a general way that there's a real tension between between uh those two extremes of the spectrum and trying to find a middle ground between them. Right. And, and that's really the work here. And that's, I think that's what I see a lot in like really excellent horoscope writers is that they, 
they know when it's getting too broad and they know when to dial it back to be more specific, but like really how to strike that balance. But anyway, you were going to say, Adam? I find that part just absolutely maddening sometimes that, that I think that's like one of the core challenges that I have in writing my own monthly horoscopes is like, you know, okay, let's say you have a transit across your third and sixth house, you know, like, okay, that could be like, you could have communication in, in, I'm thinking of course, the sixth house is like the joy of Mars, for example. Like, so you could have like, uh, some kind of, uh, laborious or, um, or, or heated or, or intense or some, some kind of mental drudgery, you know what I mean? Or, Mm -hmm. but then there's, a million other things that could happen. Like your, your neighbor could get in a fist fight with, <laughs> with the person who's painting your house or like, like, <laughs> you know, like uh, I always think of like all of these very specific things. And then right. I find that I'm like, all of these specific things are very appealing and interesting, but then the general, how to dial it back into the general without becoming too generic and how to be, um, uh, supportive and encouraging without being, f- you know, phony. It's it, the balance of those things is part of why I think horoscope writers sit there and get, you know, feel like they just stare in front of the the screen and just like, oh my god, can these just be done? It so, so you do like dial it back though, or when you met with that, because one of the things I started doing, because I just like sat down, I thought I was going to record like a series of twelve, and why this is like the first time in my life where I've really objected to. The, the founders or whoever came up with astrology having 12 signs, because I really think that did a disservice <laughs> to all of us ha- that have to do 12 signs. Cause that sounds like so much when you actually sit down to write like a column for whatever the length is for 12. Like if it was like five or seven, that would be much more approachable. But <laughs> right. of course it has to be 12. Uh, yeah. It, anyway. So, um, and sitting down and wanting to like a transit of like Mars through the seventh house, because, for example, like for the, you know, what the the Leo rising people, Mars is retrograde in Aquarius, so it's like a stationary retrograde in those people's twelfth twelfth house this month. And so sometimes I wanted to say instances like perhaps I've seen an instance in the past where somebody had a major breakup under Mars transiting their seventh house, and that being a possible specific manifestation. But then that does become like overly specific versus trying to bring in a more um, archetypal or like symbolic interpretation of saying like, well, Mars represents um, can represent severing and separation, and so you may encounter situations in which, in terms of personal relationships, and your during the course of this month, that there's some themes of severing and separation that arise for for you. I mean, is that always? the trick that the astrologer needs to push themselves to interpret it more symbolically in that way? Or can there be instances we're mentioning? Obviously, we're met with like space limitations here. So maybe this is something that's unique to me since I was just like talking for 15 minutes about each rising sign. But, you know, do you always need to try to remove it from the specific? Well, I I mean, for me, not always. I mean, again, you have to be honest, you have to be realistic. And for me, it's like, you know, in general, you know, Mars opposite someone's ascendant or sun is probably not going to be super comfortable, like a Mars retrograde in general. So you can, you can feel safe and accurate being like, it's not going to be a comfortable time. Mm -hmm. You can't sugarcoat that too much. But as far as like specifics like that, um, I mean, I think you can get a little too specific sometimes. I mean, it also depends on the time frame. If you're, you know, if it's a monthly, that's one thing. If it's a weekly, that's 
that's another fits a daily. That's a whole other, but like, also this is where I bring in personally, um, the, the sun more of like the archetypal stuff as far as like, how would, let's say a Leo sun or rising deal with something like a challenge from a more malefic planet, right? How would like this Leo archetype face something like a challenge versus, you know, if it's a Mars retrograde in the seventh, but we're talking about a cancer or cancer rising, how are they going to approach the conflict? How are they going to read and receive and hear the idea of you have a really tough week coming up or a really tough month of, you know, regarding relationships. So I lean into that as well, if that makes sense. That's where I start drawing from other things other than just the house significations to see how I can't kind of like nuance that or, or language it to be more appropriate and let that inform how specific or how general I go. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, you put that as a point in the outline. I actually wanted you to expand yeah. on that because it's a really important and unique point about how you will attempt to actually make an effort to gear the interpretation around something that actually makes sense in the context of whatever sign of the zodiac you're delineating it relative to and how they would be inclined from a psychological or character perspective to deal with that or how they might either productively or not, or not productively sort of receive that energy. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, a new moon conjunct Uranus and Aries is going to maybe feel like super electric and exciting to fire signs who are like down with that anyway. Like there's something about them, something about um, their character or their essence that really vibes with that like completely crazy, you know, new moon vibe. But, you know, to to a water sign, maybe, or you know, it could be like, overwhelming and maybe you want to take some time out during this new moon to set some intentions like you tailor the language to those archetypes and yeah and it's very general it's very broad it's not going to apply to every sun sign but that can help you get some nuance and inform that and you know earth signs may just think like all right listen like my friends are acting crazy like everyone needs to calm down and if you write from that perspective that can again inform the way you write it and you know how specific you get and what you focus on so Yeah, I find like every month when I write and I do that, I'm also careful to try and because sometimes I see myself doing this and I've seen it in other horoscope writers where um, you'll lean into the most obvious weakness of the sign. For example, like, okay, Capricorn, you've got, you know, Mercury and Cancer in your seventh house opposing Saturn in your first house, right? Uh, You know, um, you might want to open up emotionally. We know you like to go get it, but make sure that you also like have a heart, you know, like some super, that might be, that might be a good way to go. But I find that like, well, poor Capricorn, if every single month I'm hitting them over the head with this idea that they're invulnerable, opportunistic, like workhorses that, you know, what's some, I always am asking myself, like, what's some other angle of Capricorn that I can address? Because I think sometimes yeah, like, you know, you'll see, you'll see column every, every cancer column I read, I, I'm not necessarily feeling needy every month. You know what I, you know what I mean? Well, sure. And, and that's when it comes down. Well, right. It comes down to the person writing it to not lean too hard into that and let some things go down the cliche garbage disposal because <laughs> yeah. they just, it's time for them to go. Right? right. Um, but I mean, you can lean, you can, you can go so much farther into it other than, you know, cancers are needy and, and Capricorns are heartless and opportunistic. And, um, it's just, I think it's a good thing to dig into as a layer for how you go about writing it and, and even reading it, I guess, I suppose, if you're trying to figure out, you know, 
you know, what point in your chart to read for. But no, I totally agree with that though, Adam, that can, this gets into like, you know, horoscopes are valuable, but there are some bad horoscopes out there that just aren't very good. And like, this is kind of, you see a lot of this generic kind of like boring stuff like that, where they, it's, uh, they lean too heavy into that in some of these kind of more less amazing horoscope yeah. columns. So yeah, I agree. Dear I agree. Cancer, you're getting over your mommy issues this month. I'm like, you know, like that, just like, oh my God, I can't even read it if it if it gets that cliched, you know? For sure. Yeah. All right. Dear Cancer, stop being so crabby. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Dear Scorpio, <gasps> stop being such a creeper. All right. Stop creeping in the bushes. <laughs> Don't do it. I'll... You're freaking all right, out. I'll right. myself again. All right. So, um, yeah, so so the last things in terms of just wrapping up the technical side of this. So we're we're looking at things like ingresses. We're doing whole sign houses, basically derived houses from either the sun or from the rising sign, or in some instances the moon sign. Um, transits relative to the sun by aspect or relative to that sign by essentially sign based aspect. Also looking at things like retrograde stations, like when a planet stations retrograde or direct as being a period of greater importance for whatever that transit is relative to that sign, um, exact aspects that go exact during the time frame, as well as lunations. So this month was a little bit easier for me because there was like two eclipses this, this month. So that obviously gives you a lot to talk about, especially when one of the eclipses was one of the biggest ones that stood out for the entire year, which is that lunar eclipse at the end of July conjunct Mars and square Uranus, which so many astrologers have talked about in their yearly forecasts that sort of made it a little bit easier to look at, you know, where is that going to land relative to whatever zodiac sign I'm looking at, whether it's the rising sign or the sun sign. Uh, so all of that's though dependent on the time frame. And I'm just doing monthlies because that seems approachable to me. Um, I feel like I would have a really hard time doing dailies. And what what would you look at or what do you look at when you're doing dailies? Like Adam, I guess you don't use dailies, but Joe, you've done dailies, right? Oh, I've done dailies. Um, (laughs) Say that with like a thousand yard stare, like uh, somebody comes out of a war zone. Yeah, kind of. No, I've, I've had, I've had several months off. I'm, I'm pretty recovered from, from the dailies grind. So for dailies, it's interesting because you, you still hit on all those major things, but like you can't talk about how like the eclipse is soon for five days in every daily until the eclipse is there. So what you end up leaning really hard on is the moon because that's the only thing that's moving quickly enough to make aspects to planets, move through the signs, move through the solar houses and that kind of thing. And when I first started writing them, it was really exciting. I was like, oh, cool. You know, like when the moon's in the ninth, I can talk about like lusting after travel and stuff. And like, you can't wait to get off work and blah, blah, blah. And like that kind of stuff. But like you run out of significations pretty quickly, which is again, this is why dailies specifically are are so uh rigorous and so good for you as an astrologer to write but yeah it's mostly the moon and with bigger configurations like um like the uranus pluto square that we had going on like you know that got hit by the moon several times a month right right? Um, or any larger configurations and what you end up doing is really getting intimately acquainted with um, sign significations, first of all, how the moon behaves or does her lunar things in those signs, what that really looks like, feels like, and means, and also what major configurations look like 
and feel like when they are hit by the moon from different signs of the zodiac and from different areas of life as far as the solar houses go. And that's what you really dig into in my experience is, is that kind of stuff. Um, you know, what is a square to Saturn, you know, by the moon? What does that look like when the moon is in, um, Aries? What does that look like when the moon is in Libra? You know, it's still a square, but like it really, you really can frame that so much differently and uh, pair that with, you know, the moon separating aspects and applying aspects. And so you get super into that. Like it feels, it almost has like horary vibes a little Mm, bit with how much you pay attention to the moon. It's really, really interesting. Right. And that brings you just all the way back to your original point, which is this really does is like um, doing like lifting weights as an astrologer by forcing you to learn how to be able to interpret the nuances and details of every single possible placement and combination at their deepest level of that, you know, the moon square Saturn is going to be experienced differently or might manifest differently if it's in one set of signs versus another. And while astrologers know that sort of abstractly, you may not have ever in your studies forced yourself to go through and interpret and delineate what that would be like for each individual sign combination. Right, right. And if you write dailies, you can be like, but I lived it. You know, like I lived it for, <laughs> right. for month after month writing this moon square Saturn. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, that, that weightlifting thing, it's, it's really true. And what's interesting too is like, you can't repeat, like you can't repeat these significations. You can't say like, oh, you feel like authority figures are bearing down on you for every sign. You know, you have to, you have to figure out what the difference and what the difference is between these signs and how they'll experience it is. And, you know, that's just one more level to it forcing you to, to, um, explore this symbolism a lot. But then also like week to week and month to month, you know, you, you have to find a way not to repeat yourself there as well. And, uh, yeah, you get to know the moon very well when you write dailies. It's really cool. Say, yeah. When I, and I'm, the, I think there's a similar thing about what you, one of the things you were saying is that you can't write about, the same thing in your da- dailies, you know, every single day. And I think one of the, one of the, I mean, I can certainly see how it would build your muscle because of the, the need to keep it novel and fresh. Um, one of the things that I've done that's been really stimulating for me writing dailies that are about not for every sign, but just an, o- an overall take on the daily weather, so to speak, is that you can for a week if there's a if like right now like sun is opposite pluto so i might write like three different columns in a week about that but from totally different angles and it and it provides me some of the flexibility to uh, you know so i'm kind of i feel like sometimes i'm like inviting readers into a week of meditating on a transit that's perfecting that week and i feel like in that way like my grandiose thought has been that you know that that that's a that's a form of horoscope writing that I've ne- I certainly had never read anywhere else and that was what what compelled me to do it was like a lot of the times in you know horoscope columns that are by sign one of the things that you don't get is getting to hear the same transit talked about you know whether it's daily or monthly or weekly or whatever that you don't you may not get to move into a deep meditation with a certain kind of aspect that's perfecting because they only have a paragraph or you know per 10 transits in a month or something that they want to cover or whatever so i don't know that's part of why i've always sort of defiantly called my columns um 
horoscopes, even they're not further, not for every sign, but yeah. Yeah. And, and I like that about your, about your horoscopes as well, Adam, is that you do allow that kind of deepening into and that feeling out of an aspect, which is so important. And it's something, it's cool that you can do that. Cause you know, if you're, if you're writing for a website or a publication, oftentimes they just want it to be able to grab people and for people to be able right. to come and go whenever. And so having kind of a space held for a project like that is, is really neat. And it's, it's really valuable. And it's cool that people are able to find that somewhere and access that. Cause it is something that you don't see everywhere. Just just because practically not a lot of sites really want to publish something like that. So I was just thinking, I was like, you really couldn't do it if you were writing for anyone other than yourself because no one would, that wouldn't go with anyone. And probably readers who mm-hmm. are taking in horoscopes would also be sort of like, we're talking about the same thing five days in a row. You know what I mean? Right. You're, you're, you're not really hitting with, I mean, with dailies, like you're not necessarily always looking to hit the demographic that's going to want to meditate on planetary right. placements. Ex- yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. I mean, betraying my yeah. past life as a, a contemplative monk somewhere, I'm guessing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a really good point though, that like the advent of websites and blogging and astrologers essentially publishing their own horoscope columns has allowed for a lot of innovation and and like diversity and like new ways of approaching this in terms of doing forecasts for like monthlies or weeklies or dailies. And and even though a lot of the structure is still fundamentally the same as it has been for decades, there are some some little ways in which that's being tweaked in interesting ways. Like like with your column, Adam, where where yeah, I really appreciate and just to echo that, like your delineations. And I'm always really impressed by how You'll you'll go into and expand on some of those planetary aspects and try to get to the core meaning in a really interesting way. And you're right that that's something that you wouldn't have seen, you know, two or three decades ago in a horoscope column, just because that's not there wasn't necessarily space for that. I I always tell um, I always tell you know uh, Becca Tarnas, I'm always like you know mentioning how I'm indebted to her father's use of adjectives in Cosmos and Psyche like forever because. It's right. formed. It's formed like the bedrock of how I, I structure my horoscopes to try and kind of you know dig in and and keep turning the jewel of the transit. But he he's really really good at that. He's got that Pisces sun up at the mid <laughs> mid heaven. So I feel like I, I my that's it's not totally original. I feel like if I had to credit anyone with the the kind of moving the the symbol around like that, it would probably be him. Yeah, Cosmos and Psyche, that where he gives those the delineations of the significations of the planets, and he has like a page or a page and a half for each planet that is basically like a thesaurus for astrology writers who are looking to not repeat. I mean, it's the same issue that any writer runs into if you if you ever work with an editor or if you ever write like a essay or something where if you see that you've used the same word three times in the same sentence or or three times in in two sentences. You obviously need to switch it up and, and switch it out with like a synonym or something just so it doesn't look like a repetition. And that's basically the one of the core problems that we've been talking about here with writing these horoscopes is using appropriate synonyms for explaining the astrological symbolism. Yeah, I like to think of it like when I read his writing, not just in those passages, but when he's exploring like mundane transits of, you know, Neptune Uranus or something over a long period of time. The way that he has of trying to get into the 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 core of the archetype, it feels to me like he's circumambulating the planets, like like chanting or something with adjectives. And mm-hmm. so the, I think about it like that. In, in it's my 
imaginal way of of framing it in my mind. But yeah, that's that's a great image, circumambulating the the planet while chanting adjectives. Yeah, I, right. yeah, straight to the vision board with that, <laughs> right? Well, you know, I I feel like um, actually there's a lot of us doing that these days, especially and especially when you're actually talking to somebody and you're you're in front of somebody having to what to speak of writing, which is very difficult when you're on a deadline. But when you're with somebody in person and you have to try and describe something, I feel like yeah. oftentimes you just keep circumambulating it until all of a sudden something springs out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. Well, um, this starts to bring us around. I mean, I think the final point just to end on is is one of the things that you were encouraging, Joe, is that you wanted to see more. And one of the things that I think is interesting about this is I had I sort of announced on the forecast episode that I was seriously thinking about doing this and, and doing a horoscope column and, and most of the feedback was encouraging, but there were a few people that were like, Why would you do that? There's lots of people already doing that, or your skills are better used doing some other more advanced astrology work that can better expand the field or something like that. And while I understand that that perspective, on the other hand, the extreme opposite end of the perspective is like, wouldn't you want like all of the best astrologers in the field being the people that are on the front lines, like writing the horoscope columns and therefore being the people that are interfacing with the broader the broader community outside of the astrological community and that sort of entry point into the astrological community where you're meeting the public and giving them a, a sort of taste of what astrology is actually about. And I think that was part of your your argument as well, wasn't it? Yeah. And um haters gonna hate, man. Honestly, it gets lonely up there on your high horse at some point, and you're just gonna have to realize that horoscopes are astrology too. And it's okay when prominent astrologers write horoscopes or record horoscopes. And um, for you specifically, Chris, I commented on on that on the forecast video. But um, you know, like it's we all have to think about our brands, and if we're watering down our brands or strengthening them, I get that. But I think what's unique about your approach to this is like you're approaching it from what I can understand is kind of in the same way you approach this podcast, which is to kind of like display different ways of doing astrology, different approaches, and basically be all about educating the community. If someone, you know, like you who has never really delved into this part of astrology uh, gives it a try and like describes their experience, it's only going to provide more perspective and insight to your listeners and allow them to kind of understand the the scope of astrology in general. I think the I think the comments about like why would you do that? You know, your time's better spent elsewhere. I mean, like, I wouldn't suggest you you start like writing dailies full time and like abandon the podcast or something like that. You know, like right. de- definitely don't do that. I don't think that's something you would really want to do or be passionate about <laughs> doing anyway. So I don't think we have to worry. But um, you know, definitely give it a shot, and it's not gonna. Your time is not better spent elsewhere as long as you're authentic in how you approach it, which you have been completely thus far. You know, you're you're having this conversation with us. You did your monthly forecasts and, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe do the challenge, do a month of dailies just to see what it's like. But I wouldn't, I, I think stuff like that is just kind of coming from probably a well-meaning but slightly ignorant place. Yeah. yeah. A little arrogant. Yeah. I don't want to make too many assumptions, uh, but. I, I understand I like it because it. there is a obviously, especially you know, with me or with any of the three of us, there's a, a weird range of, you know, writing a book on ancient astrological history and like doing translations of ancient texts and reading like scholarship on history of transmission of astrology and all that other, let's say, not 
it's not arrogant to say that, but like high level sort of sort of work on astrology, where there's there's high level work being done in different areas of the astrological field, whether it's on ancient history or on translation or on psych- psychology or medical astrology or what have you, and then there is the other more practical, like getting down and, and getting your hands dirty and like doing astrology type work, whether that's doing consultations with one on one individuals or whether that's doing forecasts, that's like the actual practice of astrology. And I can see people sometimes having this uh, attention or, or sometimes wanting people to focus more on the, the quote unquote advanced work, but it's just a making room for the realization that, that all of those are, are sort of important in different ways, I guess. Yeah, I, I certainly think that, you know, there's a, there's a funny way in which the stuff that we consider to be really high is sometimes, um, you know, if, if treated in the wrong manner or expressed in the wrong way is, is really lacking substance. And I think what you're doing is all about substance. I think that you have nothing to prove for yourself as a researcher, uh, as a historian, as a, high, a sort of quote unquote high academic or intellectual astrologer. But the fact that you're compelled to do something that's very hands-on, that's actually a, a modern form that you bring your Hellenistic into it. Um, I mean, that's personally what I'm really, I'm really fascinated by is how can we take this ancient uh, material, this um, uh, Hellenistic stuff, for example, and and or medieval astrology or Renaissance or horary or anything, and how can we make it part of something that's accessible for more people? And um, I mean, that's why that's that's that vision has shaped the way that I do business for a really long time. But it's starting to inform my actual um, sort of pedagogy, where I I want to try to build inroads for um, modern astrologers to understand modern astrologers or general modern astrology audience to understand more about ancient astrology. I think you're already doing such a good job with that in in how you educate and inform people and the different guests you have on your show, but. Your horoscopes were awesome. I loved my cancer horoscope. I thought it was bang on and really good. And it was fun to see the Hellenistic astrologer that everybody knows, like being a wizard at something else. Like, I just thought that was really cool. And I don't think you should give it up. I don't know about the dailies either, but uh, <laughs> but I you think you should, keep, you should keep going with it. Yeah, I simply don't have the, the, um, the not patience, the... Um, what is it like? Like self, not self reliance. I'm, I'm. The words escaping me. Discipline. Endurance? I don't have the discipline yeah. to do dailies. Like I'm always in awe of people like Austin, who's doing that constantly, or, or, or like you, you two that are able to do that with such regularity. Or I remember so many times, like being at like a conference with with Rick Levine, and we're staying up, like arguing in the in the lounge about like whether astrology was causal or a causal until like two in the morning, and then. He would look at his watch and say, "Oh, I have to go. I have to go write my daily." And like having that type of like discipline to just like drop everything and do that every day is a, a skill that I have not quite developed yet. But I don't know. We'll yeah, see. That, maybe that literally happened with me and Rick at UAC. He was right. like, "Joe, this is awesome. I just, you know, I gotta, you know, how it is. Gotta go finish dailies." And he right. was like, "You want to write some dailies?" And I was like, "No." Well, that's what I was <laughs> not saying. at UAC. <laughs> that's what I said to Chris too. We were it was a gathering going on what was it for what was the organization that was holding that little party at uac and oh, hey. i said i gotta go i got my pisces horoscope i still gotta write and i gotta try to do a little yoga before i go to bed and da, da, da. <laughs> yeah you literally did that at uac you you left a part you left a party because we dragged you up to the afan suite to to hang out uh at uac just a month ago and you said i have to go i have to write the rest of my my column for this month it's due yeah 
Yeah. Well, that is impressive. Reference. So that's the other like superpower that you develop by doing an astrology column on a regular basis is the the discipline as as a writer, as an astrologer, and a sort of content content producer. But also this feeling, perhaps eventually, also of having some sort of obligation to your audience, because that's been an interesting observation over the past decade as well. Like the audience really does get attached to their their horoscope writer after a certain amount of time, and sometimes if something happens or if that doesn't deliver, oh yeah, they can get they can get pretty pretty oh, upset. Yes, which I get it. it's feisty. Yeah, in some instances <laughs> that's not pretty. Like I saw some pretty. Uh, nasty stuff with Susan Miller's um, audience, like several years ago, when she was having health problems, and right, like so, she yeah. had to like not write for a period of time, and people got really uh, pissed off, like pretty pretty quickly about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I get that. I mean, having done three hundred plus per year um, for going on five years now, uh, I have gotten so many people who, first of all, you're you're an open target because people can offer you all sorts of. Um, criticism and it's also people get people will send me sometimes like three pages worth of a response to something that i write and i don't have the time to respond to that you know and if right. i don't if i say something that's you know uh shorter than that they would like you know it's like i've offended someone or and so I, I yeah it's it's definitely there are some uh, treacherous parts of being someone who writes. I, I kind of envy you, Joe, in some ways of being a ghostwriter, having that, like, not necessarily having to interface personally with people because sometimes it, it's um, it's a real drain. In fact, in my yearly fundraiser, one of the things that I say is the amount of time that I spend interacting with readers is part of what I'm asking you to help me fundraise for because it's <laughs> yeah. time consuming. It's just, it's a right. lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting, interesting then additional like little behind the scenes thing. And I know there are some horoscope writers that do like um, pen names or like Austin for a long time when he was first writing his column was using a like a pen name for for several years, and it was only in like 2010 that he started using his real name finally. So it's interesting sometimes those choices that people make in terms of uh, yeah interacting with the public and and the connection that the reader has with the writer and so on and so forth. All right. So I think that brings us to the end of this discussion. So thanks a lot, guys, for joining me on this today. This was really a lot of fun, and I'm glad we got a chance to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for thanks having for me. Having, sorry, I couldn't control my laughing for a while there, guys. I just lost it. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, sometimes <laughs> when that's that's the, the 12th house, when it hits you, you've got to. <laughs> <laughs> hey, laughter is like the best medicine right now. I know. Totally. Actually, for always, but especially now, I'd, I'd rather us be laughing uncontrollably. Oh, my heart feels than, so than full else. from all of that. So I'm I'm really thankful for spending this time with you guys. Awesome. Yes, well, uh, so just to reiterate, so where can uh, Joe? Where can people find out more information about your work? You actually launched last year in the past few months a new YouTube channel with Ryan Butler, and you guys are killing it with some great astrology videos over the past few months, right? Yeah, we actually are in the middle of rolling out videos for a series on the six main components that go into zodiac signs that give them their meaning. Um, the YouTube channel is called Cups and Crowns. So just uh, search for that on YouTube and you'll be able to find that channel of ours. And um, and myself, my website is amyjogleason.com. You'll find blog posts and um, maybe more stuff that I may or may not roll out. I'm going to roll stuff out for this uh, horoscope writing challenge that I, I guess, created almost inadvertently. So, so, so be on the lookout for that. And I'm on Twitter as well. Amy Joe Gleason, making threads, having conversations. 
Awesome. And and recently became the new vice president of the Association for Young Astrologers. Yes. Yes. Super excited about that. And our website is youngastrologers.org if you're interested in finding out more about what we're up to, what we have in the pipeline there. Awesome. Cool. And Adam, where can people find out more information about you and your various writings? Right. So simplest way would be to go to my website, which is um, nightlightastrology.com. Not nightlife. Some people think I run a dance club. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, it's actually an astrology school. It's called Nightlight Astrology. So you can go to nightlightastrology.com or you can just check me out on um, Facebook at Adam Ellen Boss. Brilliant. And your um, column actually appears on the Astrograph website, which is astrograph.com, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, my monthly horoscope column is at astrograph.com. And you click on the horoscopes tab, and then um, there'll be glyphs for all the horoscopes at the top of the page, and just click on yours and you'll find uh, the monthly there. Okay. And you've also been uh, producing a ton of videos on YouTube over the past year as well. Uh, and that's something that you're you're putting more time and energy into, right? Yeah. Uh, I started, I basically wanted to mix up my dailies with um, video blogs. So I, I do maybe two, sometimes maybe three a week video blogs and um, just trying to reach out to people who aren't as inclined to um, read. So yeah, there's been more development on that. You can get, so you go to Adam Ellenboss uh, at YouTube and find the, the video blogs. Those are on my Facebook page, they're on my website as well. Okay, brilliant. Well, people should check those out. And I think all three of us are going to do different videos. I'm going to post this video on my YouTube page, but then we might do other follow-ups on Adams. And you guys are going to do one on Adams and other combinations, right? Yeah, I think uh, hopefully yeah. I want Joe to come and talk about uh, Association for Young Astrologers and tell people about that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Well, uh, thanks again for joining me today. And thank you, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to give it a good rating on iTunes. Be sure to like and subscribe, etc. And we will see you next time.